0: Reveal Jackson. Well, hey, it's uh, it's good to be with you today. Especially in light of everything going on, I feel like I should probably start there. Why are we still doing this? (laughs) Uh, We understand, like, you know, there's this spiritual realm where God's doing stuff, but we're not stupid. We know there's a physical realm where there's real sickness, real disease, real stuff going on. And so we've taken as many precautions as we can for today to, to try to keep stuff safe, but You know, I was receiving texts throughout the week. Are we still doing it? Should we do it? Is that a smart thing to do? Things like that. And I I don't have like this moment where like an angel appeared to me and was like, Jamin, go through with it. You know, (laughs) nothing like that. Uh, In fact, you know, when you go to a spiritual gifts conference, that's usually what you're expecting the people speaking on the stage to say is these kind of radical things. I find spiritual gifts a lot more in kind of the subtle everyday type things where if I'm paying attention I realize where God is and and what he's been doing and and, uh, um, I look back on the week and when I look back on this week I think of Wednesday when for the first time in eight years I was up here cleaning which I usually work from home, miracle I was here I just heard this rushing water and when I finally figured out what it was it was our basement here just flooding with water, not even from our pipes, for some reason our neighbor's pipes go through our building (laughs) And they had a clog, which basically just exploded all over our basement. And so I'm not one to just, you know, be like spiritual attack behind every bush or anything like that. Not, not even remotely. But there's just something about it. And even when I told my friends, they're, they're like, man, it almost feels spiritual. And that strangely made me excited because I'm like, is this worth stopping? <laughs> you know, like, cool, let's keep going. And then the next day, there's a lot of stuff about Corona. And then throughout the next few days, we had a few people who were going to be unable to make it. And uh, I went to bed um, Thursday night expecting nightmares about how this went horribly wrong and had nightmares about how this went horribly wrong, just as I expected. But when I woke up, as I was waking up, I had this song just come to my head like on the way of just starting my day. A song I haven't heard in a long time. I don't listen to on a regular basis. It's called Stall Out by Mute Math. And the lyrics are about trying to drive forward, trying to move this thing forward, but you keep stalling out. Things keep getting messed up until eventually, like you're like, am I even driving this thing anymore? Am I driving underwater now? And it's all these minor chords pressing through And then suddenly at the end, it turns to major. And the words that I woke up with uh, that was that the words during that major part were, we are still far from being over. Uh, And that's not an angel appearing to me to say, do it anyways. But that's just a brief moment where I could just sense the spirit saying, you know, you need to you need to press on, keep. Keep going, even with the stall outs. Uh, And then uh, we had a prayer session last night just over this. And I shared that story expecting no one else to have anything like it. And like everyone at the table is like, here's what God's put on my heart about this. I'm like, why didn't you all tell me this months ago when you had these things? (laughs) Uh, But it was just really cool to see the spirit at work. We're excited for today. We're excited to see what he's going to do. It's a long day ahead of us, but we believe that's because this stuff is complicated and takes some time to learn. Uh, starting from the very beginning with our very first uh, uh, message here. So this this might be new, even if you've been in a charismatic stream for a while. By the way, my name is Jamin. I'm the lead pastor here at 1208 Greenwood. It's a free Methodist church, but I have an unusual charismatic bend for a lot of free Methodist churches. And this thing's like a dream of mine. So it's just great to be with you today and to partner with you and your churches uh, to all be able to come together in light of everything going on. So let's talk about mission and the divine council. The divine council is this concept, not only in your Bible, but it's something that scholars and theologians talk about a lot, like a surprising amount of a lot. But because it's unusual to 21st century ears, it doesn't usually make it out of the scholarly world into our churches because it sounds confusing it's hard to explain, and if you're not careful as to how you explain it, it can sound a little bit like heresy. So we're going to do our best here to hone in and say this well. Our, our church here has heard about this a lot, so you're probably all rolling your eyes. Ah, here he goes again. But we're going to explain this, because believe it or not, this has a big uh, deal in, in the driving story behind using spiritual gifts going on mission. So let's let's start... With the basics of Christianity. Okay. We are monotheists as Christians. That means we believe that there is only one God. Right. He's ble- he, he has created everything that exists. Doesn't matter if it is physical or if it is spiritual. If it exists, it was his creation. I'm not going to say anything different from that. Are we all set on the basics? <laughs> yeah. We're good. Okay. So. With this in mind, you know, this very normal, basic Christian belief, a lot of our fights today in the 21st century when we go out into the world, is oftentimes between Christianity and atheism, or at its very, very blandest agnosticism versus atheism. Which is this idea like you either believe in God or you don't believe in God. You're either on this side or this side. But the biblical concept of the supernatural and what exists in the spiritual realm and even in the supernatural physical realm Is So complex and large and I can't even begin to cover it all right now. You have angels, you have the angel of the Lord, which is a specific angel that shows up all the time. Uh, You have archangels, you have fallen angels, watchers, angels locked up in chains, sons of God. Demons, giants, Nephilim, Anakim, Rephaim, Satan, princes, principalities, powers, spirits, human spirits, the Holy Spirit, heaven, hell, Sheol, Hades, Tartarus, and more. And you've heard about maybe four of those things in church. But your Bible is jam-packed with all these stories about how the spiritual realm is interacting with the physical realm. And it's a large picture that to us today just seems like it's too complicated to follow and so we just kind of like, yep, there's all that stuff. Nobody understands it. Don't worry about it. One day we'll know. But the Bible actually offers a much clearer picture once you try to put on the way that ancient-minded people thought. You, you have to do this with the Bible. It's something that uh, biblical scholars have been pushing now for a few hundred years. It's like, guys, if we, <laughs> if we try to think like... 2100 years later, you know, 2000 years later, whatever. If we try to think with our minds and we read our Bible and we, we look at it and we're like, ah, they're referring to this right here. You know, ah, these locusts in Revelation are helicopters. It's like, no, you're, you're blending 2000 years down the road into something that they would have no idea what to even think of, let alone imagine. So um, we have to get into their mind. And when we look at the Bible and we get into their mind, things start to become a bit more coherent. We learn about all these supernatural things I've talked talk to you about, and we also learn about a concept known as the divine counsel. The divine counsel weird, man. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's as though apparently God meets with spiritual beings to make decisions. Which sounds weird to us, but you find it throughout your Bible. There's a prophet named Micaiah. And Micaiah has this, uh, he's like taken up into God's throne room in 1 Kings. And here's what he says that he saw happen in the divine council in God's throne room. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. What kind of story is that? (laughs) right? God sitting on a throne who knows all things, who can do all things. And yet here he is, and he's like, all right, guys, King Ahab has to go. He's just rotten. Like, we've tried to fix this over and over again, but the dude just keeps turning away from me. It's time to, to end his reign. Like, if I'm God, I'm like, all right, all done. I snap my fingers, right? But instead, he looks at the spirits. He's like, so how are we going to do this? If I'm a spirit, I'm just gonna be like, what, you, you don't know? <laughs> but apparently, God wants to cooperate with them. And you got one spirit come up and give an idea. And God's like, no, nah, your ideas are always weird. It's not in there. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, but then another one comes up and he's like, all right, well, how about this? And God's like, nah, you know. But then one spirit, which can be an angel, could be any level of different kinds of things. Spirit is just a blanket word for anything in the spiritual realm. Okay, So uh, spirit comes up and he's like, what if I went to his prophets and told him lies? And he followed their lies and that got him killed. And God's like, yeah, that'll do it. That that works. Right. What a weird story. (laughs) We're like, could, could we have seen some kind of glimpse like this several books ago to feel like we knew that this was going on? But this is what the prophet sees while he's taken into heaven to catch a glimpse of it. You see other examples throughout the Bible where apparently spiritual beings are making decisions. It's that weird story in uh, Daniel. I know whenever we think of Nebuchadnezzar, all we think about is chocolate bunnies or veggie tails or, you know, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. But there's other weird stories in Daniel, including one in which God's like, if you don't humble yourself, I'm going to turn you into a cow. (laughs) I don't really know how it works. But the word that he's given is like, you're going to live like a cow, at least. You're going to have a psychological episode. Or I don't know if where cows are a thing, but I'm curious now. Whatever the case may be, he is given this uh, weird word. But when you look at the word that's given to him, Nebuchadnezzar's having a dream. And then it says that watchers, which is another form of angels, especially known in Jewish literature, between your testaments. The watchers show up and they say this about this This uh, sentence on his life, they say this sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision of the word by the holy ones. Holy ones, another term for watchers. It's actually a term for saints. So just as these watchers are God's spiritual, holy ones, you as Christians are hagios, God's physical, holy ones. OK, so when you see the word saints in your Bible, you should be thinking holy ones. You're just like the angels, but in earthly realm, if you will decision by the word of the Holy one to the end that the living may know that the most high rules, the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Why is this happening? Because God has allowed the decree, but where did the decree come from? Well, the watchers are like, we had a hand in coming up with this. It's the divine council, God bringing them before to talk to him. Job, Job starts with a picture of the divine council. And we already know that that's a super weird book. But at the beginning, you see just Satan or a Satan in a bad mood. I know that sounds weird, but the word Satan in Hebrew just means accuser or adversary. So even a good person in Hebrew language could be an adversary if they're opposing like a bad guy. Okay, so Satan in the Old Testament is a little confusing. We don't know for sure that this is the Satan, but we know that this is someone opposed to humanity because here's what he does. This Satan or a Satan enters the divine council. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God, okay, so there's more spiritual beings in the divine council. The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan or a Satan also came along with them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down it. And the Lord said to Satan, All right, this is more than some kind of divine bet, okay? The implication here is that this Satan, this being, is walking across the earth to and fro, watching humanity. And as he's watching, he just does not have a good opinion of them. He's got an accusation against them. He's adversarial against them. He just looks at humanity and time and time again, they're corrupt, they're flawed, they fall flat, they don't meet God's mark. They keep sinning against him. They keep turning against him. And so this adversary comes to God, he's like, yeah, I've been walking to and fro. And God already knows what he means by that. You've been checking out humans. So God is like, what about Job? Look, I know, the world's bad. (laughs) People are not great. Everything has Corona. But at the same time, have you thought about Job? And Satan is like, oh, yeah, I've seen Job. But here, God, you ever think about this? Like you have like a hedge of protection around him. Like nothing can touch him. He's got all that he needs. His life is blessed in so many ways. He lacks nothing. Nothing bad ever happens to you. So, of course, God, of course he follows you and wants to live a holy life for you. But let me let me tell you this. I bet if you took everything away from him, if you took all that spiritual hedge away and let people in to torment him, I bet you he would curse you to your face because he's just like all those other humans. So God's not just like, I got 50 on Job. Like, it's not like this, you know, divine bet. The story that's being told is the divine counsel is in session. And there's one guy on the earth who seems to finally be living like a human being was called to live. And here Satan is like, I bet he wouldn't if he didn't have so much. And so divine counsel is in session. God puts his faith in Job to prove that he would follow him even given what's happening. And you know where the story goes from there, Uh, but it's interesting wisdom literature, right? I mean, nonetheless, like these are strange stories. Divine counsel's in session. God's not just pulling every last string, but he's asking for input from other beings that he created, not beings that exist on their own, beings that he created. Now, here's the thing. Whether you're a human being or a spiritual being, you're granted power and authority. It's it's in the very fact that you're a human being, because every human being, doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, every human being is made in God's image. And if you're made in God's image, it means you're given dominion over the earth. So you're supposed to take care of it. The idea that's actually presented in Genesis is God's presence dwells in Eden. And here he lives with Adam and Eve, and he tells them, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And as you do that, eventually you're going to leave Eden. Your descendants are going to leave Eden. But as they leave my presence, they're going to take my presence into the rest of the world. They're going to turn everything that they go into into the garden, into God's presence. You as my physical image are meant to make the whole earth one day look like my image. I'm entrusting you with this power and authority. Now. We all have that power and authority because we are human beings. You don't walk up to a bunny and he's like, nah, I don't, I'm, I'm not into you, man. <laughs> no, he's, you have power and authority over him. You know? Don't do it with like a gorilla or something. But whatever the case may be, God has said, you as the image of God, you have power and authority and dominion over the earth. So take care of it and make it look like my presence. Take Eden into the rest of the world. When I look at the world, I see people exercising their God-given power and authority in ways that uh, is benefiting the enemy, right? Like, I mean, when you think of just creation, if we're to take care of creation, if that's part of the reason we're here, then you look at rainforests being burnt down. You look at all these emissions and what scientists are saying. We've crossed lines. We can't go back, and we keep on doing it if we don't take care of ourselves And this planet, things will get worse and worse. Like we all have the power and authority to take care of the earth, but some will exercise it in ways that benefit the enemy while others will exercise it in ways that benefit God. But God doesn't look at all those in charge who are using their power and authority and dominion over the earth and say, that's it. I'm taking it from you. He could kick them out of a position But he can't be like, I'm taking the image of God away from you. No, because as a human being, you are inherently made in the image of God. That power and authority stands. He trusts you with it to use it as he would expect you to use it. While understanding that you have the free will to use it another way. I know this sounds weird, but spiritual beings get to do the same thing. Just as God grants you power and authority because you're in his image... So he grants power and authority to spiritual beings. And they can choose to abuse that. Which sounds really weird to us, but it answers the long question where people are like, God, why is so much bad stuff going in the world? I think part of his response would be like, because I gave you power and authority. <laughs> and you're using it wrong. So are the spiritual beings. Every, everybody's just corrupt with the power that... That's been given to them. And you see these stories throughout the Bible. Daniel is one of the places where you see it very specifically. Daniel's praying, God, you gave me this vision, but I don't get this vision. It's weird. It's complicated. Would you please come and explain it? God dispatches an angel right then. If God would have had his way, the angel was supposed to show up right then. Daniel begins fasting, waiting for an answer. And the angel shows up. Is it 14 days late? 21. 21? So like... Three weeks later, Daniel's still fasting, and the angel's like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm sorry. Man, I, I came as soon as you asked, <laughs> but I had to duke it out with the prince of Persia before I got here. And a lot of us are like, uh-huh, <laughs> sure you did. What, what are you talking about? You just like stopped by Persia to battle the king over there? No, there's this idea that just as there might be human kings with power and authority in the spiritual realm, God has granted power and authority to spiritual beings. And this prince of Persia is adversary, is satanly trying to fight against God's plans. How can he do that? Well, it's because at one point God said to the spiritual being, I'm granting you power and authority over Persia. And he used that power and authority. And rather than use it as he was supposed to, he turned it against God. The uh, the angel continues that there's more stuff like this. When he's leaving, he's like, okay, so I've explained the vision. We're all good now. I got to go back to do some spiritual warfare. But on my way out, the prince of Greece is going to stop by. But don't worry. You've got the prince Michael, who is the only good one of all the princes. He fights on your behalf. (laughs) And if I'm Daniel, I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay, see you later. (laughs) You know, like, what am I supposed to do with this? But this is the weird story that's told about the spiritual realm. Apparently, spiritual beings granted power and authority by God who are misusing it to oppose God, just as human beings with power and authority granted to them by God will misuse it to oppose God. Satan does the same thing. Like, he's the primary example, right? You know, when Jesus is being tempted, one of the big temptations against Jesus, Satan says... Uh, he takes him up to a mountain, he looks out over the world, and he's like, see all that? I actually have power and authority over that. It's been granted to me. Uh, And that makes sense, because if you go back to Eden, rather than choose to get wisdom of good and bad from God, we chose Satan's advice to get wisdom from good and bad his way. And in doing that, that turned us over to death. And so Satan, which Hebrews says is the Lord of death, Satan now rules over us. We chose him over God. So we're now caught in this cosmic conflict. But Satan takes Jesus up on a mountain. He's like, look, dude, if you just worship me, I'll give you all of this. And like, it's not like that was a moment where where Jesus was like, dude, you, he, he doesn't answer like, dude, you don't have any power or authority. No, it's called a temptation for crying out loud. Right. Jesus knows this is tempting. He knows I can go die on a cross or I could worship Satan and get all the power and authority that I planned on getting on the cross. But Jesus knows, of course, not to do this. And he doesn't. But he doesn't tell Satan, you don't have power and authority. No, actually the Bible talks about even the New Testament, principalities and powers, the prince of the air. There's even Paul talks about the God of this world. And it doesn't seem when he says that, that he's referring to Yahweh, the one true God. He's talking about some other entity ruling over us at this time. So you see these stories where these spiritual beings are exercising power and authority. Where do the beings get the power? We just talked about Satan. But you're probably wondering, like, where about all these other ones ruling over Prince and, and Greece? Why, why these national gods, if you will? You actually see that in Deuteronomy 32, 8 through 9. Which says this when the most high, so when the one true God who's made all things, when the most high gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. We've already talked about them. These are like upper level spiritual beings. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. Deuteronomy 32 says that when God divided the nations, which is a reference to Babel, because that's where the Bible talks about the nations being divvied up. Apparently, you didn't just like get your language changed at random. You know, you weren't just sitting at a table one day. Son, how was school? Ah, que pasa? You know, like it wasn't quite like that. Rather, people were divvied up, given different languages and then assigned over to the sons of God. It's a punishment, really. They could have had the one true God, but they keep not doing what they're called to do. They were supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with God's presence. Instead, they got so sinful that the first sin after Adam and Eve is to murder someone's brother. And then it gets amped up with uh, his grandfather, Lamech. And then it gets so bad that the world has to be flooded and started over again. And God says, I regret having even done this, but I'm going to choose Noah and try again. When Noah restarts, guess what he tells him? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Your next story is the Tower of Babel. How does it start? They wanted to make sure they didn't get spread out. So they built a big building to make a name for themselves. They're going against God's commands for like the hundredth time within three chapters. (laughs) They're turning against him and they build a tower, which in ancient times was a ziggurat. In Mesopotamian literature, anything that is said to have its top in the heavens, which is how the Bible describes the Tower of Babel, that is always referring to a ziggurat in Mesopotamian culture. A ziggurat, you've seen movies where you go up that long staircase and at the top you make a sacrifice. The idea was the gods live up there. So if we can build something tall enough, maybe they can drop down and come down and hang out with us. So that's what the Tower of Babel was. It's not what you Googled, that thing going way into the sky. It's probably a little, like maybe twice the size of this building in height, but that's high enough for them to think, we made our own mountain that will reach the gods. Okay. So nonetheless... Um, They've turned against God. They built this tower. And as a punishment, God's like, they don't get the one true God anymore. I'm going to assign them to my, my task force. <laughs> so he looks at the sons of God. He's like, you, you get this nation. You, you get this nation. And he turns all the nations over to them. But then he, it says, chose Jacob. Which I imagine the sons of God had to be laughing at that. Okay, so you just assigned to us hundreds of people And you chose Abraham who can't get his wife pregnant as your nation. Good luck. (laughs) But then God, of course, creates a miracle. And out of someone who could not otherwise have children, a line is born, the line of Israel, which is God's nation. So he disinherits the world. He separates them by languages, by their tongues, spreads them out. And he chooses one nation. And if you want to be a God follower, you have to be a part of Israel. You have to join him. Because this is his nation. Now, we might think that maybe since God turned them over to other spiritual beings that he granted power and authority, maybe they were good guys. Maybe. That's quite possible. But the story the Bible tells is that if they were, they're not now. If they were... They eventually became corrupt. Psalm 82 is an amazing th- psalm. In Psalm 82, it talks about the divine council. It says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the little g gods, he holds judgment. <laughs> I know this sounds weird, but little g gods all throughout the Bible are not nothing. Deuteronomy 32 says they're demons. Demons is a blanket word for spiritual beings opposed to God. So little G gods. Look, this this changed my life, okay? Because when I look at Israel, they'd always like, God parted the waters. Now let's build a bowl and worship that. It's like, why would you worship a piece of gold after what God has done to you? It's because they actually believed that there was something spiritual to this. They didn't think it was just a piece of gold. They believed that their gods were kind of embodied in these statues. So, Here again, the little G gods are not God. There is only one God, but the little G gods are also not nothing. And we're watching their story. The sons of God who have been given judgment, sorry, given power over nations. In the midst of the gods, Yahweh holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. These are the things that the false gods are not doing. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. And here's what God says. I said... You are gods. You are little g gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. That's what Revelation, that's how it ends. Satan and his angels thrown into hell to end all that's wrong with the world. Along with anyone who's decided to choose Satan over God. In fact, Psalm 82 he just said, like, if, you take, if, if the false gods aren't going to take care of the weak and the needy, their destination is to be ended. What does Jesus say? I'm sorting through the sheep and the goats. If you're not taking care of the weak and the needy, your destination is to be ended. In other words, you've chosen to follow after the false gods rather than follow me, to image Satan rather than to image God. Psalm 82 ends with a bold statement. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. Where are the nations? Well, they're all under the false gods. They were the ones who were disinherited at the Tower of Babel. But the psalmist suddenly catches this whiff of what God is doing. He's coming back for them. He's not leaving them out there. He will come back and win them over. And then as we move forward, we see that begin to happen at what we know as Pentecost. What happens at Pentecost? There's a bunch of people waiting for the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they were mandated to. Jesus said, look, I'm going to go to heaven. Once I get there, I'm going to ask God to send you the Holy Spirit, which the Bible also just calls the spirit of Jesus. So Jesus is like, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm actually coming back as the Holy Spirit. because. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're all the same, right? So I'm sending my spirit. I'm sending the Holy Spirit back to you to empower you to do ministry. And in John, he says, don't go into the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. In other words, don't go do ministry without the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Have you ever done that before? It doesn't go well. (laughs) I'm always like, hey, I'm going to rationally... Get you to understand why you should believe in God. Like, I'm just working out of my own effort to make this happen. Forgetting, like, if the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you and work on your heart, I'm never going to get through. The Bible pretty much is clear. Like, it's the Holy Spirit does the saving, not me. I didn't one day choose to get saved. I finally recognized that God was saving me and decided to step into what he was doing. It's all his decision on my life. Yes, I play a part in it. With my power and authority, I've turned it over to him. But I didn't save myself. I cannot save myself and I will not save myself. And if I think I can save myself, I have joined Satan in the garden saying, take this for yourself. Do it my way. Do it your way rather than God's way. And at Pentecost, they're all in that place. And suddenly a wind blows through the building, the Holy Spirit, a mighty wind which can also be the word about God hovering over the face of the waters, the Spirit hovering over the face of the waters. It can also be interpreted a mighty wind was hovering over the face of the waters. So just as God created in Genesis, so the Holy Spirit, which the Bible keeps saying is a creator and continues to create to today, and will resurrect Jesus and create him and us anew. The Holy Spirit rushes into the building, fills them up with his presence, And they burst out the door doing what? Speaking about the wonders of God in all the languages of the people who have been disinherited. In Genesis, God divided them up by their languages and turned them over to something inferior. Psalm 82 says, God, you will inherit back the nations. And through what Jesus has done on the cross and through what the people in Acts are now realizing he's here for the Gentiles, which takes a while to get through their skin, through this moment where the Holy Spirit comes, the very first gift deposited into them is to rush out the door, filled with his presence, looking a little drunk apparently, <laughs> talking about the wonders of God in the languages of all the disinherited nations. During the holidays, no less, no less, so all the Jews who are in town who understand these messages are going to go back to their towns and spread that news of what they saw. It's not a great analogy, but just like if Corona was in one place, you'd all get it and then take it back to your places and spread it out. Not sure why I'd use that, but, <laughs> but that's kind of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit shows up, does something big. Everyone sees it. Now they go home, spread it around. And the gospel is getting out, not just to the Jews, not just to the line of Israel, but this bold message that you can be adopted into God's nation, into Israel, into the line of Jacob, the allotment that was given to Yahweh, his one line. You can leave your false gods behind. You can stop worshiping them. You can stop chasing after Satan. It doesn't matter if he has power and authority or dominion. Revelation goes so far as to like he might crush you and kill you. But don't worry if you die, you are actually conquering him just like Jesus did on the cross. Doesn't matter what kind of power and authority anything might exercise over you. Anything might burst your pipes in your basement, which weren't even your pipes. (laughs) Whatever the case may be, turn all that away. Follow God, regardless of the suffering. This is the one true nation and everything else will be done away with. But if you were chosen finally, after all these thousands of years to get it right, to go back to Genesis, to choose Eden and the new Eden that's ahead of you and restore the nations. Well, that's going to change the world. And so if you have the gift of tongues or if you soon receive the gift of tongues or if you never get the gift of tongues, anytime you hear it or speak in it, what should be going through your mind is I am on mission. You might be saying something else. I don't know. I don't have the gift of interpretation. But whatever you're saying, just by the act of speaking those words, like you should remember in that moment, God has called me to mission to the Gentiles, to anyone outside of his line. Because most of us in this room, we were Gentiles at one point brought in by the work of God and by the, the, the invitation to adoption into the one true line. We're here because of what Jesus did. We're here because of what his disciples did because they followed the mission of the reversal of Babel. And that hasn't changed God wanted his kingdom to invade the world, to leave Eden and take over the rest. And Revelation finally talks about Eden finally having taken over everything. God will make it happen. But in this time and place, we're not to be apathetic. Resurrection is actually about us coming back to the earth restored, not about us staying in heaven. Right now, we have to do our work to stay on mission, to cultivate the earth into heaven on Yahweh's behalf, through what Jesus did, by the power of his Holy Spirit, and we cannot do that by our own will, by our own strength. And that's why we're here today, to talk about all kinds of spiritual gifts, so that you can learn how to hear God, how to practice the things that the Holy Spirit can empower you to do. We have no control as to if you'll be able to, but I find a lot of people are more uh, built for gifts than they think. They just... They don't know how they work, and so they never know what to do. <laughs> Today, we hope to to reveal to you how these things work, and uh, we're highly biblical. We aim to be. Uh, a lot of times when you get to spiritual gifts, conferences, everything's very experiential, and things get lost and very confused. <laughs> we think experience is great, but we're bringing the Bible along just as all these scriptures up here that we've been trying to do. Um, this concept is obviously very broad. After I had read it, it took me like a year to figure out how to even talk about it. If you really want to dig deep into it, Michael Heiser, The Unseen Realm is the book that you'll want to check out. Uh, I actually did a podcast episode with him yesterday. He asked pastors how they teach this content um, and how that's worked for them. So uh, he's that would be the primary source to go to. Uh, It's the one most recognized. If it feels too dense, there's another book called Supernatural that he put out, which is like the less denser version. I've also covered this in three books that I have here that I've worked on. Um, One looks at all the spiritual gifts and talks about this worldview. One tells it much quicker, less dense. And then one tries to tell the gospel story through this worldview to help you allegorically kind of see some of the things that the Bible is communicating that we miss in the 21st century. Anyways, I'm not here to sell books. I'm just, I know this is a big uh, topic and it's hard to just hear it once and know what to do. If you want more resources, those are a few you can check out. But hey, uh, we got a lot ahead of us today. I know it's uh, 12 hours that we're here today. Uh, if you're able to stay with us at the end of the night, Stephen's going to be bringing the word. And then we're just going to worship for a long time. And we'll have time for people to receive prayer, be commissioned. We have some prophetic words that our prayer team just has kind of felt put on their hearts the last few days. We'll talk about those. Uh, But we we expect you to come in contact with the Holy Spirit today. That doesn't mean you're going to be lying on the ground shaking everywhere. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. But... (laughs) But for some of you, it's going to be just this sense that God is here, just growing in the wisdom of what he has for you. So let me pray for you. And then we've got a 20-minute break uh, at 1030. There's different breakouts. Every breakout sign on every door says the last class is at 230. It's not. It's 330. I was just too lazy to fix it. So um, just keep that in mind. If you have your schedules in front of you, those ones are correct, I think okay so <laughs> let me pray for you get your day started and then uh there'll be some popcorn up here distributed by a man with gloves on and uh um we'll we'll continue our day oh also marketplace man over here is trying to find a unique way to do the mission of god and serve people around the world they've got fair trade proje- uh, products from all different kinds of parts of the world When you buy through them, it supports families and missionaries and all kinds of things. So highly suggest you check out their products and any of the other little booths just lying around. So, God, here we are, waiting to see what you have for us today, waiting to go on mission. We want to be empowered for mission. We don't want to do it alone. Doing it alone is so hard and impossible. God, some of the worst ministerial mistakes I've ever made is when I've tried to do your mission without you. So here we are, asking for empowerment, living in the feeling these last few days that you're going to do something great here today. I just ask for more of your presence right now. Come fill this room, grow in us, do what only you can do. We're hungry. And if you're hungry today, if you just put your hands out in front of you like you're receiving a gift, God, every hand right now, I pray gifts be poured out. I pray those who um, have had gifts for a long time, but they don't know what they are, that they would be revealed to them and that they would begin to learn about today. I pray your Holy Spirit already begin giving them wisdom, guiding their mind as to which of our breakouts they should check out so they can ask the right questions and grow. And uh, I just pray... Um, for new gifts to be deposited into us, not because we need to have more power, but because Paul told us to eagerly desire the greater gifts, which is the implication that we may not have them right now, but we should keep waiting and praying. Your word tells us not just to drink once. You tell us, uh, don't get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the implication in the Greek is that we're not just filled once, but we keep being filled with your Holy Spirit. Not just one baptism, or maybe we might say one baptism, but a continual pouring out after that of your Spirit. We want that today. So pour fresh. On anyone who needs it, who doesn't have it, pour it out. On anyone who has it, but wants more, pour it out. We're yours, and we desire to use your power and authority the way that you call us to. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.